0: This is Artist Stories, a podcast that centers experiences of artists whose lives have left a lasting imprint on the Southern Arizona creative ecosystem. I'm Jenny Sanchez, and today we welcome Adia Jamil, fiber artist and doula. Adia, thank you so much for joining me today on Artist Stories. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. (laughs) I would love to talk about your connection to the Southwest and uh, you are a Project Creosote grantee, new works grantee, actually, and just like how your connection to the Southwest and your project titled Ancestral Tethers sort of all tie together.
1: Right. So my husband grew up in Arizona. I am originally from the Bay Area. So initially we moved to Arizona because this is where he was from and we knew the cost of living would be cheaper. We eventually moved down here to Tucson because we preferred just everything about it. That. It's more community-centered, more art-centered, more outdoor-centered, and it just felt like a safer place for our eldest son. With my work, I do a lot of gardening, and a few years ago, we found some cotton seeds at the, um, at the Pima County Library. And because I'm a descendant of enslaved Africans, I was like, let's see what it's like to grow cotton, just to get an idea, keeping in mind, of course, that it was voluntary and that I wasn't being forced to, like everything about the situation was different, but just to get an idea of what the labor entailed. And so I grew it, and then one of the plot neighbors next to us told us how in his home country of Liberia, they use cotton leaf for medicinal purposes, Mm -hmm. and that just kind of furthered my connection to cotton as I learned more about the plant. Then I met other Black femme cotton growers and we swapped some seeds and so I was able to get some seeds from Indiana and Georgia of different colors and so it's just kind of evolved and cotton is you know one of Arizona's main like crops here so uh, it's just kind of interesting that I was called here to do this work with cotton um in this place that I didn't actually, you know, initially have a desire to come here. I wanted to stay in the bay area, of course, but it's way too expensive and we were newlyweds and it just wasn't, you know, feasible. Of course, now I love it. <laughs> and I love Tucson and I love that we're able to grow year-round and the growing period is longer and my growing has shifted into Incorporating more dye plants and more medicinal plants. We'll always grow food and things like that, but my our focus is ancestral plants. Um, So I grow a lot of foods and plants that either are specifically from Africa or they're staples of African American culture. And so I also grow indigo and other dye flowers as well.
0: Looking at your your work, just the intricacies of all of the layering, the dye, the, all the fibers, and the embroidery, mm-hmm. um, beading there is so much like conceptual layers in each of them, and mm-hmm. the image making in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just incredibly beautiful, and I, I really am looking forward to seeing what what these pieces come to be. And now knowing some of the background, it's it's really exciting and moving. So thank you for sharing that.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited because I found out I can use the raw cotton to make paper. So I'm hoping to mm-hmm. incorporate some bookmaking um, into the the project um, where I make the paper from the raw fibers. And
0: there's a lot Amazing. of components. <laughs> well, we need to add paper maker, bookmaker to the <laughs> to the list, right? Your, like, yeah. Yeah. I would love to get into your backstory. Can you talk about just your upbringing and how did you get on a path towards becoming a full-time artist? So I think that
1: everybody is who they are always. And as long as I can remember, I was always an artist. Um, one of the mm-hmm. earliest pictures I have of myself is me sitting and like coloring or drawing or doing something. Um so it was already innate in me and I was Mm -hmm. lucky enough to have a mother and actually my father, even though, um, you know, as a a black man in America, the idea of your child just going into the arts can be intimidating because what if it's not profitable? So Mm -hmm. he encouraged it, but was like, you could animate or, you know, work for Disney, which is Mm -hmm. not what I have any interest of doing, obviously. Um, But my mother um, growing up, we were, you know, it was just her and we didn't have a lot of money. So she would just make the best of, you know, how museums have free days and and stuff like that. So she would take me everywhere. And I remember when I was, I feel like 14, between 14 and 16, um, we went to the San Francisco MoMA and I saw Kara Walker
0: in the museum. Oh my goodness. Uh Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, and it was really moving for me because it was the first time I saw m- like myself reflected in this type of art space. And it was in that moment that I was like I want to be in museums. I want to be part of art history, not just simply somebody who's creating to sell, but like I want to create meaningful things that will have a lasting impact.
0: At 14, you were thinking of this. That's just simply (laughs) incredible. (laughs) What a transitional moment. I mean, like in a museum, right, to to Mm -hmm. experience an artist like Kara Walker and to know that this that's where you want to be.
1: Yeah, and then over the years, I kind of was like, oh, let me do the responsible thing and tried to pursue careers that were not art-related. And then when I was in my 20s and went back to college after uh, I did some junior college and then I did some other stuff. And then I came back after I got married, I was like, okay, I want to do something creative. So I was trying interior design at ASU. And I liked the idea of it, but it was just not my bag. (laughs) Um, And I, because of my junior um, college time, I had a wide open schedule to do whatever I want to be able to stay full-time for scholarships and and grants and stuff. And so I just filled up my schedule with art and I saw the fibers class and the description was kind of vague, but I was like, that sounds cool. And I uh-huh. just added it. And then I switched my major at the end of the year. And then um, the rest is history, I guess.
0: <laughs> right, right. And we we just learned before we started recording, we were sort of walking the same halls of the ASU like art school. And I also took an intro of Fibers class. And I felt like after taking that class as well, I felt really connected to the, especially the process of making felt. Mm-hmm. There's something really, like it's almost spiritual, right? Going through so many steps to create a thing, right? That has so many purposes besides to make art, but like for survival. And that's how... I would look at that. Exactly. Yeah. So
1: like, I remember, so my mom always sewed a lot. She's a quilter um, Mm -hmm. and she tried to engage me. And, you know, as teenagers do, I was not interested, Um, but I was interested in like how the fiber became jeans. I remember looking at my jeans and trying to figure out like, how did it come from a plant? to what I'm wearing now. Mm -hmm. Um, but I didn't know there was something I could study and it was just like a fleeting thought. So finding fibers is actually really good. And for me, it's kind of meditative because I tend to move really quick. Um, because you know, life, especially as a parent Mm -hmm. and as a partner to somebody, you constantly have a million things to do. So fibers is one, place where you can't really rush it you know Mm -hmm. like it takes as long as it takes
0: you can't miss a step (laughs)
1: exactly you can't miss a step you can't rush it you just have to like let it do what it's going to do um and it also helps with like my perfectionism because fiber doesn't it does what it wants so you can iron you can sew you can do all the things but it's not necessarily going to come out perfect like you know, with a painting, you can block things off or with a drawing, you can, you know, you can do different things to manipulate it to get the perfect lines or the perfect whatever you're trying to do. And fiber, um, specifically fabric, that's not always the case. Um, so it helps me to release that need to be perfect all the time.
0: So Adia, speaking of jeans and indigo, I know you experienced a life-changing Trip to Nigeria. Can you talk a little bit about that and how uh, those experiences have led you to explore new paths artistically?
1: I guess I should preface that while I was studying at ASU, I learned that's when I got my first introduction to indigo. um, And I loved it. However, when we were learning it was from this idea of indigo being a Japanese practice. Mm -hmm. Um, and it wasn't incorporating any kind of like plant education or anything. Um, so when I left, I felt really excited about it, but then also kind of like, I didn't want to overstep my, um, uh, I guess overstep into somebody else's cultural practice. And so I kind of, uh, left it behind and occasionally dabbled in it. In, after the pandemic started, in 2021, a lot of people were making their courses accessible via like Zoom and things like that. And I was able to take an indigo and a mud dyeing wor- workshop with Abu Bakr Fafana um, that was virtual. He was in France, I was here in Arizona, and the other classmates were all over the country. And that was the first time I really started to like think about indigo outside of this Japanese scope. I hadn't realized that there was such a long history in Africa. And at the time I was like, well, I'm like 9% Malian. So this is part of my heritage. And, okay. and so I got really excited. And then in 2021, an opportunity arose that I was able to go. It was supposed to be for birth work. Um, I, was supposed to, I was able to go to Nigeria And the focus was birth work. But I found out that where we went, Oshogbo, is they're known for their indigo work. And so we were able to go to the Oshun Festival where they explained all this history. And like it's all in the art of this history of indigo in Nigeria. And there's all these people covered in indigo. And um, so when I came back, I had a renewed connection to it because I'm Mm -hmm. more than anything, um, as a mixed black woman, I, the highest percentage I am is Nigerian. So this was a way for me to connect to a part of my heritage that I didn't really know. And for me, it felt like, All of those ancestors were calling me to this practice because as far as I know, you know, I don't have any family members who practice fiber arts. So whenever they were doing this, it has not been in the last hundred years or so. And so I got very excited and I, you know, I have like this fiber business where I'm doing lots of different things, but now I was like, okay, I want to try to grow my own indigo because when I did the class with Abu Bakar, he talked about how he has his indigo farm and how to process it. And so I was like, let me see if I can grow it here in Tucson. And the first year was not successful. I think it was user error. We planted too late. Um, we planted directly in the ground, so we couldn't tell what was weed and what was plant, and it just didn't take. And then this year, or I should say 2022, I actually was able to get two varieties to grow. Wow. I have not mastered extracting the pigment yet. And also like, I have to, I had to figure out, you know, the shade and sun and all that stuff. So I'm hoping this year uh, I will be able to grow indigo with the seeds that I harvested which should prove much more successful because they were already acclimated to the desert. And the type of indigo that I'm growing is supposed to have originated or it's supposed to be a strain from Africa, which is what I was really hoping for it to grow is so that I could be further connection to this ancestral practice for me. And then when I got the grant, that was when I was like, okay, it's time to do this full-time it's time to because you know when you're working or when you're trying to be an artist you're trying to also pay bills And when you have kids art can sometimes get pushed behind and that's what's happened you know for years and so now I finally had the something that said okay now it's time to focus on this and only this and so that's what we're working on right now.
0: Congratulations. That is so impressive. And you're actually producing like your medium, like elements of your medium.
1: Yeah, so to I, for me, I'm like, yeah, I wanna do natural dyes just because it's it's a lot of fun. And like, that's how everybody has always done it. But also I just feel like if I'm doing natural dyes, I feel like I should be producing the things I'm using. So like if I'm using avocados, it's from the stuff, like we're just saving the ones that we ate. And if I'm using pomegranate, you know, shells, whatever, it's from the ones that we ate. And so if mm-hmm. I grow, then I'm not depleting somebody else's resources. Like I'm not saying, oh, you know, like you can sell cochineal, but like, um, that's just an example, but like that doesn't grow everywhere. You know what I mean? So when it's getting shipped right. all over the world, I just worry about like, what in, what is my practice, how is that impacting? Um, But if I can control it by growing my own materials, then I don't have to worry about it because I can control how much I'm doing. I can control how much Mm -hmm. I'm using. And then, you know, like for instance, with the indigo, we have tons of seeds. So now if they're viable, I can share that with other people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the goal is to help people become more self-sufficient in their whatever they're trying to do their their gardening their practice whatever.
0: Oh well, I would love to know what is moving you right now? You know I know you're deeply invested in several projects and exploration of your process and producing plants that are integrated into your into your art practice. What are some of the things from the outside world that keep you going or keep you moving? I just feel like... The biggest change
1: communally happens on small scale, right? So Mm -hmm. we can vote for whoever we vote for and that's large scale, but the real impact happens in your own community. So if I can help people see like that, this artistic arts, the arts are a viable career path that's creating impact right here. If I can teach, you know, children and adults, the skills that I've received, that's um, immediate impact and might change their own trajectory. You know, when I tell people Mm -hmm. that I'm a black woman who grows cotton, um, the biggest pushback comes from other black folks, right? Because the narrative is how black folks were enslaved and they were forced to pick cotton. And it's, you know, this tool of oppression. But the reality is, is that cotton is an ancestral plant for black folks it is a medicinal plant. And actually the pharmaceuticals use it. Um, Mm -hmm. And so my goal with my art as a whole is to reconnect um, and rewrite that narrative. Like, yes, there was this time period where the indigo and cotton were used as tools of oppression, but these are our heritage. We have direct Mm -hmm. access to this. It's ancestral knowledge. I didn't have this information before I started, I'm just kind of like going with my gut and being guided to where I need to go and opportunities are presenting themselves. So for me, it feels Mm -hmm. like the, you know, an ancestral call um, that Mm -hmm. this practice was preserved. And I've been for my line, I'm one of the people who's called to bring it back and so the goal is just to kind of help other people see that sometimes that you know that quote it's like we're our ancestors wildest dreams and usually when people say that they are posting an image of somebody who's a doctor or a lawyer or something okay. and to me I feel mm-hmm. like what if their wildest dream was just that we would be able to preserve their traditions their knowledge of mm-hmm. plants their knowledge of these different trades you know like some people are iron workers Mm -hmm. some people are you know um are doulas and midwives some people are you know there's a lot of different ways that that can be interpreted and so for me I feel like I am my ancestors wildest dreams because I am um reconnecting to this tradition that was almost lost. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Now you have agency over it. Yes. You're being guided and you're proceeding on your terms. Exactly.
1: I'm not being forced. I'm getting to know the plant, So I get to know the history. I get to know like this whole medicinal side of it. I get to know how to use the entire plant, not just the fiber, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and like, that's what I think they would have wanted is to have somebody to continue that part.
0: Can you talk a little bit about your practice as a doula? How do you balance two worlds of um, like art making and your practice as a doula? And was there like a gradient where they, the two come together?
1: I think that they're not separate. I used to think they were, um, but this year, as I'm finding the overlap between the plants. So like I said, you know, cotton is also medicinal. So it's something that I can use in my doula support, um, like the cotton plant. So to me, they're not, they're not separate anymore. It's just a matter of getting to know what's appropriate and where. And then like when there's a new baby, I can make them a uh, you know, like a new blanket. Yeah. And when I took the the indigo training with Abu Bakr, he was saying in Mali, they wrap the new babies in indigo. And I was like, wow. yeah, that's because it's protective and uh, healing and all these things. And he was talking about how colors have healing properties, depending on what the ailment mm-hmm. is and, and what color you're wearing. And I'm like, that's something that whenever I'm, I've always thought about the colors I'm using and what they symbolize. So that rings very true to me. So, you know, if there's a new baby, let's wrap Mm. them up in some Mm -hmm. indigo. Mm -hmm. And if that indigo could be something I grew, even better.
0: (laughs) Incredibly beautiful and inspiring. Thank you so much. I'm thinking about, I just have an image of you for a 14-year-old at the museum that really stuck with me. (laughs) If you could provide that girl advice knowing everything you know now as an artist what would that be
1: I think that one just go ahead and listen to the part of you that is saying that you need to create and that creation takes a lot of forms it takes the form of gardening right because I'm growing plants Mm -hmm. it takes the form of cooking sometimes it takes the form of becoming a mother, it takes the form of being an artist. Um, but the other thing is is that um, it'll feel like things are disconnected, but really it's about gathering all the tools. And then once you have the tools, you'll be ready to go. And that's mm-hmm. what I think why it's taken so long. I think some people are given tools earlier than others. Um, and I'm just one of those people who I'm not I don't want to say late but like you know I'm not 20 anymore Um, but I took a lot of time to gather up a lot of skills a lot of tools a lot of experience and that is informing all of my work and making it really intentional Um, and I think will ultimately get me to my goal where I'm showing in museums
0: beautifully said well i really appreciate you taking the time with us today and uh wish you nothing but the best as you continue on your path and i'm sure we will see great things no thank you so much (laughs) this has been artist stories featuring the stories of artists and arts organizations in our region to listen to more podcasts visit kxci.org Artist Stories is a project of the Arts Foundation for Tucson and Southern Arizona, which is partially funded by the City of Tucson and Pima County. Music for this podcast was created by Jonathan Rodriguez.